ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and today our special guest is Andy Parker, who is a digital consultant and user experience designer, and our topic for today's episode is solving UX problems away from your keyboard. That's how Andy and his team do approach UX problems. So, hi, Andy. Hi, how are you? Um, doing great. Thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. Um, so, we're going to start with a short Blitz questionnaire so we can, you know, learn about yourself faster and dive into the main topic. Mm -hmm. So, to get started, tell us, what is that that you do for a living? Uh, well, as you said, I primarily, I'm a, a digital consultant and digital strategist. I help various size businesses um, work on mainly on things online so whether that's applications or marketing websites um, and provide user experience design services as part of that but the the main thing that I'm sort of moving into a lot more now is is UX coaching and um, providing the guidance and instructions for individuals and teams to be able to start to introduce user experience design processes into their work um, because that's very much the main problem that I've seen uh, over the last few years <clears throat> with um, a lot of uh, big companies especially are still hiring internally for UX teams as well as recruiting agencies because I think they realize that um, they can hire someone to have the job title of user experience designer but that doesn't actually mean that the organization itself really is embracing what that that entails um, so that's what I do with my organization which is called we are AFK <laughs> yes, yeah, so we met uh, just a few words of background. We met at uh, LTV Conf in Brighton, and I was instantly struck by your amazing approach. How you, uh, you know, how you talk about UX—that it's actually a big organizational problem, mm. and the the only way to solve it is to get together in one room with all the professionals involved. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, uh, I think the larger businesses get uh, at sort of fifteen people. It's It, everything's still pretty manageable and I think everyone has got a vested interest in what's going on with the company and, and they like to be able to support one another. Once you start getting bigger than that, it becomes quite difficult because there's a lot of drivers, mainly financial drivers of why people are, are trying to do what they're doing and they forget to sort of support one another. And then after 50 people, it just becomes this... Um, to, to sort of coin the cliche of like it's this siloed organization where you know one room doesn't talk to another room let alone individuals within teams and um, so they, they hire in these uh, UX teams um, which either end up being part of the development team or they a part of the marketing team and or they're completely on their own somewhere fighting this battle and it's very difficult to get everyone <laughs> to start working together again uh, to, to be able to realize that everyone's contribution is what makes a great user experience for one of your customers and for that fantastic customer experience. Totally, totally. That sounds like honey to my ears. If more people did understand that, our world would be a beautiful place, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So question number two, uh, your backstory, how did you get to where you are today? Uh, it's very diverse and quite bizarre. Um, so sort of going, <laughs> going backwards from where I am today, I, <laughs> I, I've, um, I was working at a, a 
fairly well-known um, user experience design agency for the, the last three years, up until December last year. Um, prior to that, I'd kind of worked for myself for a little bit. Like a lot of people, I'd freelanced and done contracting and all of that kind of stuff. I've worked at a handful of agencies. I've worked in-house for um, software-as-a-service companies. And before that, I did like hardware builds so building networks and systems and infrastructures and even doing like data cabling and businesses and before that I was a sound engineer so I worked at a small music venue uh, here in the the southeast of England and I did booking for bands and um, the the sounds on the nights and even went out on tour with a lot of bands did some things in recording studios and stuff like that and I think that's that early sort of background is actually what really uh, kind of like sparks the way that I work and my approach to things because it's very much community driven, especially with you've got these like small music scenes and the sort of the DIY punk culture of, you know, just build it. And if people turn up, they turn up. And if they don't, they don't. Um, but it, the, <laughs> the important thing is about just doing something, uh, not to be seen doing something, but actually doing it because you think that you should be or that it's right. And uh, I think that's very much sort of shaped the way that I work uh, and that it's why the emphasis is always on people rather than um, profit margins, say, for example, or, you know, whether or not you're going to get 1000 tweets off of something that you've done. Well, yeah, that's very interesting story. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, <laughs> kind of kind of bizarre, a bit of a, a strange twists and turns, but I think it is all very much related and um, I, I really think it's helped me a lot in understanding a lot more than, say, someone that perhaps has, has come into this field from a background that's more research-focused, like a librarian or archivist or something like that, something which is a little bit more sort of just maybe like data-structured or information-structured or even a graphic designer, because my understanding of, of how networks work or you know that, that background in having to sort of build physical things um, and... Uh, get it to work for the people that are there I think give me a very different sort of spin on how I uh, sort of evaluate what's going on with something and and the desire to understand what is happening across all of the various different parts of the organization to know whether or not something that's going in is going to be right and I think that's that's really encompassed this this belief very strong belief in that that UX is not just about product design or service design it's it's everything absolutely so just to clarify where you stand in in the design field you approach ux from a purely functional uh, standpoint so you don't do visual design like branding other stuff and neither do you do coding oh, which of that is true <laughs> uh, well i do actually do coding i was um, i was a front-end developer for quite a long time um, Whoa, it's not I'm sorry I missed that. <laughs> that's okay. It's not something um it's not something that I would really sort of profess to being great at because I think that with all of all of those roles and skills, you have to be on them all the time. I mean what what front end developer means today is very different to what it meant even in two thousand and eight when I sort of stopped doing it really. Um, so I, I do, I think the advantage is more that I have an understanding of how those, um, 
how those roles work and the effort that goes into it. You know, I, I, I empathize a lot more with developers because I've been there and I know that things do take time and you can't be, you know, pushed into, oh, you know, we've got to complete this within a couple of months. It's, it's about sort of changing the mindsets of a lot of people. Um, but I've never been a graphic designer per se or a uh, visual designer. That's, that's never really been my thing. But that's not to say that I don't take into consideration aesthetics and and what brand does and and how that drives a conversation because uh, again as i say it's like it's it's all part of the same thing uh it's just i i wouldn't execute it if you see what i mean right right thanks for clarifying that so as of today um what does your typical day look like well the last um, the last six months have been quite varied uh but it's it's been Um, it's been really interesting. I've, I've worked with a handful of different organizations uh, and been routinely sort of going backwards and forwards. And the, as I said, the, the main thing that I've been doing is more this concept of UX coaching. So I've been working with a, a founder of a, a company that's still relatively young. Um, they've been, I mean, they've been around for like five or more years, but they're, um, they're starting to reevaluate what's going on. You know, you sort of hit this this point i think about five years into a business where you you you've got the wheels spinning and and it's, it's moving somewhere and you just need to sort of think about whether or not it's actually going in the right direction so a lot of the the work that i've been doing with that organization has has been focused more around uh introducing these um ux principles if you like into the organization rather than them hiring a freelancer for a couple of weeks to maybe do some user testing or to look at journeys that seem to be a problematic and come up with new solutions for it and things like that because that's what they had been doing up to that point what i do instead is go in and talk about how they can start to introduce exercises themselves into their general workflow uh, so that it's it that they can keep doing it and it becomes part of the routine because I think a lot of the problems that um, companies that rely on agencies have is that they see it as being it's this one-off expense that you can afford maybe once a year and you hope that you kind of get everything done in it rather than it just becoming part of the cycle with the development and the design of the the product so that's that's very much how my days look now uh, I have a lot more um phone consultations with people than i was ever expecting uh primarily with startups <laughs> uh so i got i got involved in in two major um new organizations this year one is uh the happy startup school which is based in in brighton uh but is very much international which is uh, a a very large community now i think i think there's probably a, about a hundred thousand people around the world that have <laughs> been involved in it in some way or another but um the the guys that have have set that up are very much focused on the idea of trying to in encourage people who are thinking of trying to do something for themselves to to be able to retain the focus and get on and do it so there's there's quite a big support network from that and i've ended up working with a handful of um new founders from that to uh to be able to to get them to drive forward with their idea and, and make it a reality and the other one is um is a site called vested uh which is um it's quite an interesting concept but it's, it's basically working for equity so there's a lot of 
people that are going through it. It's, it's currently, I think it's in final beta at the moment. But the, the idea is that if you have a startup, but you don't want to go through venture capital or, or any other form of sort of in, investment that is going to p- potentially harm uh, your bottom line because it's got to drive profit to be able to pay that money back is that you're getting people to work for equity to, to get it off of the ground. And I've been helping consult with a couple of those companies to be able to to build their minimum viable products and try and put them in touch with the right people to be able to to get it developed or or to help refine business plans and there's it's it's a lot more strategic thinking than say um doing user journeys or information architecture or content strategy or something like that although i'm still doing quite a bit of that as well well that sounds like a very interesting opportunity because like Myself, I often get that founder itch, but getting myself as a co-founder sounds like a very big commitment. But what you described is a perfect balance of a, of a nice commitment, strategy, and at the same time, it's not that bad that you have a personal relationship with anyone, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think the two the two communities actually work quite quite well together. And I, I think that vested themselves uh, were founded off of the back of going to the summer camp, which is one of the Happy Startup School events that happens in the summer. Uh, it's like a, a camping weekend just for people to go to. There's a few sort of talks and things, but it's this kind of anti-conference thing that's been happening quite a lot over the last few years. But mm-hmm. there, as it turns out, there's actually quite a few businesses that have gained the confidence to to go ahead and and become something or people that have found like-minded people to to become co-founders with so that's that's really good and i think i think the idea of vested although i'm not totally sold or or believe in the concept of you know working for equity when uh, the equity is worth nothing the ability to be able to actually talk to some of these people that have got genuinely good ideas uh is i i think is worth doing Yeah, that sounds great. Thank you for sharing the links. I'm going to put them up in the show notes so that everyone can try and get involved. Yeah, absolutely. So the next question, what do you enjoy the most and the least about your work? Um, <clears throat> I think the the thing I enjoy the most is is actually being able to to just make one person's day a little bit better. And I've always said that. If that it's not for me, it's not so much about Let's say we're doing a, a website redesign or, or you know, it's being reevaluated. You could come in and you can tear the walls down and you can build it back up again and, and it will look amazing. But the the underlying problems within the architecture of the organization behind it are probably still going to be there. And the person that commissioned the project or gets put in charge of being responsible for that project, you're you're really there to support them and to make sure that they're uh that you know they're not trying to continually fight a losing battle with their team or with the people above them or anything like that and that that you can hopefully at the end of the engagement impart some kind of um confidence and knowledge into them that means that they they are totally sure of every decision that was made within the project and why one particular piece of functionality works one way or the other or why something looks one way or the other and if you can do that with just one person i think that that's that sign of success for me that's that's the definition of done very much so and i think in terms of the the thing i i enjoy the least 
like a lot of people in my position, I suppose, that have just started a business. So I'd, I started business back in January is um, rebuilding the confidence in talking to strangers because that's, you know, that's, that's who you're talking to all the time. And you're trying to, <laughs> you know, you're trying to find new work. And um, uh, I've actually posed it as a question at a number of, um, of meetups that I've been to recently just to kind of sort of spark that conversation. Because, I mean, you think about, you know, yourself and I, we were sat one morning in this dark auditorium during a break and uh, didn't know one another. And, and that, for some people, that can be quite an awkward interaction because it's like oh, this complete stranger and I feel obliged to talk to them. But I, I do actually, I like talking to people and I, I'm, I'm quite happy to have a conversation with someone that I've never met before because that's how we, that's how we evolve and that's how we meet new people and, and hopefully find new work and, and everything else. So um, I think that that's, that's the bit that I don't like the most is, is um, being, being really open and, and going and talking to someone and then them not responding. I'm, I'm still getting used to that a little bit. Interesting. Mm, I, I, I do say I love talking to people and uncovering their stories because everyone has their own approach to doing things and their own, you know, secret sauce. And I love learning about that. However, it really drains my energy. Like, as a result, I don't know. How about you? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And um, there's a, I was I was at a coffee morning recently, which did this kind of like round table thing where everyone had a question, they put it up. And I, I posed this as, as my question for the group, which was, you know, why, why don't you talk to strangers? And a lot of people said exactly the same kind of things is that it's like, it can be really tiring when or, or you can feel quite downtrodden when you you're continually putting yourself out there and trying to sort of talk to people and you don't feel like you're getting it back or or you you get ignored um so i, I yeah i get it and I, I think that's that's part of why i uh I, I try to sort of work a limited amount of time within the week as well is is to to be able to sort of uh shut down and and you know think about that experience of okay that particular individual that I contacted why did they not get back to me or or ha what happened within that conversation and how was there something that I did there that I I probably shouldn't have done and, and you know I, I give myself a bit of time to sort of think about what's what's burnt me out this week so that <laughs> I can go into the next week and do it all over again with a slightly different approach by the way, when it comes to email communication, then it's a completely different story because zero response usually doesn't mean no. It just means that the person is overwhelmed with their own stuff. So uh, mm. there's my friend Kai Davis. He's a guru of following up with people. He can do that as much as like five or ten times. So you should borrow some <laughs> some of that confidence yeah, right. from him, I guess. <laughs> Don't take it personal for sure. Yeah. Well, I think there's there's the added there's added fears with um with email that I, I didn't really think about a great deal until recently. And, and those are that I, I have no idea what the authority is on my domain when it comes to email. So I have, I don't know whether it's even going into people's inboxes. If I, even if I have got the, the right email address and the, the other side of it is, is one which I think I've, I've struggled with my whole life, which is that I find the written word is subjective to whoever's reading it. Because I could read something that someone has, when they've typed it out, it's been like, hi, Andy, how are you? Sorry, I haven't been in touch. But when I read it, it's like, oh, hi, Andy, how are you? 
yeah, I haven't really been in touch because that's what's going <laughs> through my mind at the time. So I, I, I have this big fear of everything that I write. I think it might come across as sounding really critical or, um, you know, perhaps it's like too forward or too aggressive. And, and I, I have to keep rethinking about what words I use and the way I get way too, uh, obsessed with email. Yeah. Well, since we, we went off this tangent with email, uh, <laughs> we've talked about that a ton on this podcast. So I'm going to link to those episodes in the show notes. And just to recap it for our listeners, maybe it will be helpful for you. I don't know. Maybe you probably know it all already. So it should be as short as possible. It should be focused on the person, not on yourself. Even if you're describing something of your story, it should always boil down to what it is for them that they will get the benefit about. And the big thing is the call to action in the end so that you don't leave like the question hanging in the air, but instead like just shoot me yes, it should just like three letters and I'll schedule uh, and I'll send you a scheduling link, for example. Yeah. Yeah, I totally um, agree. I have a habit mm -hmm. of writing a massive essay and then <laughs> I'll go through it like three or four times and try and keep reducing it down. And, and then I end up with something really terrible where it just says, hi, do you want this? Call me. And then, and then, That's the best. then I, yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> right. So uh, last question, what's your next big thing? The, what is the next big thing for me? Well, I've got, um, in Brighton, where, where I'm based in the UK, there's September is Digital Festival, which is, uh, it's been going for quite a few years now. Um, and I've been involved with it in various different ways, but it's basically a month long event that kind of takes over the city and it's to promote everything digital. So there's a lot of conferences and things like that and marketing events and, um, you know, promotional events and stuff. But there's, there's also really cool things like, um, people do like open studios. So you can, maybe you've been kind of interested in how a particular agency works or a particular business works or whatever. And they have like lunch meets and things like that so that you can go in and see what it's like working there. And for the last, uh, three years, I have been running a, uh, go-karting, uh, competition um which is like open oh, do to you say karting like yeah yeah as in like carts? you know like cars yeah yeah <laughs> um because uh again this is sort of like part of my thought process with um with my, my business is that the you know you you manage to to sort of think about what's going on with your business uh or what what problems you've got to work and stuff like that when you're not there and when you're doing something completely unrelated and uh i think it's been it's been really good and people have come back and it's got bigger and bigger so i think it's now up to like we can have 14 teams of four people on the track now so mm -hmm. um it's pretty good fun so that's happening at the beginning of september so i've got to start sending out invites for that um and then the the other main thing is is i'm uh trying to work on some course material for uh doing kind of possibly a, a one-off public workshop um but also to be able to to leave something with people afterwards uh to to sort of show this this concept of user experience design not just being about deliverables and it's more design thinking and and how you approach problem solving and just kind of like a little guide pocket guide if you like um 
to to be able to sort of start to introduce some of those exercises into sprints for development teams. Um, and then the last thing that I'm going to be working on uh, is uh, I'm trying to write an ebook on user testing uh, mm. and primarily <laughs> on the um, looking at the uh, the pitfalls of online user testing. So this idea of like these, you know, these like remote user testing sites like usertesting.com and userzoom and all of those kind of things. So I've been using and reviewing them for the last six months to try and see what's actually going on behind the scenes. Um, so I just, um, working on a, a little short again, just a little like pocket guide of pros and cons to using those kind of tools versus doing them in person and how to use them, how to conduct those types of uh, exercises and, and how, you know, when to use which tool and things like that. So I'm I've got super quite curious. A, yeah, yeah, do you have a URL for this book yet? <laughs> no, not at all. I've, 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 I've been thinking about it since probably February time. Uh, and this is the first opportunity I've had so far this year to be able to actually sit down and start to plan it. So I've got notes all over the place. I haven't even had the time to be able to write any blog posts about it. Um, but, uh, I'm, I'm hoping to, to be able to put it all together and have that ready by sort of maybe like September, October time. Um, but I do intend on having a, uh, yeah, newsletter sign up for it on my site within the next couple of weeks great sounds amazing mm. may i recommend it to you and you to to you to our listeners there is a great book by nathan berry called authority which i used a ton to do my first book which has like step-by-step guide how to actually launch it not just to write but to do like all these little details they make make it up to a successful launch like mm. contacting like uh, reserving guest posts in advance like doing podcasts something like that that you kind of can overlook yeah yeah oh, but that's not more to you because you probably know about these practices but well actually I, I only really <laughs> picked up on it from uh, i did i made a note of it because you, your talk at um uh, the lifetime value conference was uh, obviously you covered some of those things and i had i had not thought about them at all and i think i probably would have ended up making exactly the same mistakes that you made the first time around as well that you talked about of you know you just kind of think you chuck it out somewhere with a link and maybe that means that someone will buy it so um that's yeah i think that probably helped me with the i probably would have thrown it out the door yesterday and like done it in half a day if i did um if I did not listen to some of the stuff that you'd said. Well, thank you. But actually, <laughs> getting out of the door is anyways much better than just sitting on your flat bottom and doing nothing, you know? Yeah. So uh, you can always fix that later, doing relaunches over and over again. That's Amy Hoy's idea. Uh, so uh, feel yeah, free to do whatever true. you want. That's true, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds great. Uh, now that we have a solid idea of what you do and what's your approach to things, I'd love to talk about your actual practical methods of going into large, scary enterprise teams and instilling that, you know, UX thinking there. And I've, I've explored your site and you say that you do that with design games and collaborative workshops. I'd love to hear everything about that. Sure. So <laughs> maybe let's, let's come in baby steps. Uh, yeah. what, what exact problems you're hoping to fix with that and who you're targeting with that? Yeah. So I think that 
uh, a lot of user experience designers reach a particular point in their career where they keep starting projects and they forget that they're being hired for one purpose and and that is that there's a website that needs to be redone or that isn't working the way that it should and the person that's hired you or the company that's hired you that's all they really care about they don't want your opinion on anything else but you are driven to highlight all of the things that you see going wrong in the business that uh, that are causing this website to work in the way that it does and that is true that for the majority of time that is true but the problem is, is if you're working for an agency where that is still what you're being hired to do, then your opinion is never really going to be considered um, because you're the guys, you're the web guys. You're just there to do the website. So I, that's, that's why I've changed the focus of, of um, my work to, to be more about the organization, but still doing it through the lens, if you like, of, of a project because it, it does all kind of come down to we, we focus on this very digital touch point with a lot of people. But I believe that you could still apply the same logic to anyone that has like a physical product or a, 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 a human interactive service. So the, the, the whole idea is to, to still work on a, on a project level because it's the easiest way to introduce common design games and design thinking into organizations um, but it's focused more at the people rather than the output at the end of it and, and helping them sort of build it um, mm-hmm. but the, the main thing around it is is this um, running workshops instead of going away and doing the work yourself and then presenting it back two weeks later and you know you have this continual thing where you're trying to justify why you've made a decision on something so the easiest way to remedy that is to not have made that decision in the first place and to help the team the group of people who are ultimately responsible for that thing to have been involved in that decision making process and so these this idea of running workshops with people where they're creative um, and doing classical design games that you would have seen in books like brainstorming and things like that like you know something like design a box for example or um, doing uh, customer experience maps and stuff like that is a far better way of of making sure that everyone's voice is heard and that they also start to uh, regain that respect that they may have lost for one another's work and what they do. Or even with really big organisations, you tend to find that what actually happens is that you'll have, say, 10 people in a room and of those 10 people, they might kind of know one another because they're on the same floor but they (laughs) they won't have a clue what they actually do as part of the organization and and what their team's responsible for or anything else and sometimes but it's very rare but sometimes that also means that you get this nice little spark where there's this sudden realization that they've both been trying to do the same thing but coming at it from different angles and this is a great forum for them to be able to figure that out of how they can now join these two things together you know this these two efforts and and solve that problem i remember you clearly saying that you just let them do that you don't do that yourself and that's stuck into my memory very well Mm. that's a great approach because how what's how else do you make people love their decisions, you know? You yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. And especially, I, I find it really odd um, 
the the whole idea i mean i i do understand that there's certain businesses the the website let's say is it's just it's a thing that needs to be there and nobody is really responsible for it and they probably think well it looks outdated it's not doing us any favors we need to get it redone and um maybe they've got a you know reasonable budget to do that and they go and hire a well-known agency to do it and probably play over the odds to to get it done or whatever um and they are just expecting them to come in take a brief maybe talk to a handful of people disappear come back with some design comps you either like it or you don't or can you give me three options of this and you know that the all the traditional web design process but that process no longer exists is dead and any agency that's still doing that is absolutely insane and i'm sure will eventually fail but do, do, do you know that the, that the whole world is doing that <laughs> well that's that's bad that's bad news that's bad news to hear if that's the case um maybe maybe we are actually a little bit further ahead in in england than i thought we were but the that that whole process is broken because what you're doing is you're saying that you own that design as the agency and you're taking full responsibility that means that all the risk is being deferred to the agency and that is a, a reason why a lot of like international conglomerates do take on agencies rather than build stuff in house because if you build it in house and it goes wrong you've got nobody to blame but yourself whereas if mm -hmm. you get an agency to come in and do it well then it was the agency's fault and so you can defer that responsibility and what i want to do is make sure that these people who are going to are going to be responsible for whatever happens on that website or that app or service or whatever it might be are involved in the decisions of how it's made um you know they might not be the people that are doing the graphic design or coding it up or they might not even be writing the copy but they understand why it's being done and how it's you know how it's got to where it is because they were part of the exercise of figuring all of that stuff out so as a as a ux designer within that role the only thing that i'm really doing is collating all of the results and putting it into a format that helps us share it with people who weren't in that room uh -huh. and and i think that 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 works really well because it it empowers those individuals you know they become the advocates for the project which is of course what you want especially in a big organization they you know they've got that confidence to be able to go into the next uh you know management meeting or board meeting or whatever it might be and when the question comes around to say like you know and how's this project going with the with the website or whatever they're going to be full of life I'm talking about right, it because right. because they they actually know you know they haven't had to go and ask someone of like oh how's it going and are we on track and how much money have we spent so far and all the boring stuff they can actually say well do you know what we've learned a whole load of stuff about our customers that we had no idea about or I've had this really great idea which came from this little exercise that we did and I think I might do it next week with this other team relating to something entirely different um and i i have seen that i've seen that happen which is is fantastic um when you know you can do an exercise uh i think designer box is is one which is is definitely one of my favorites because it's it removes completely abstracts what you've got into converting it into this physical form and however use that exercise but it's so simple that i have seen managers take it and then go and use it as a different uh the same tool you know the same exercise to solve a different problem with another team um and they've emailed me back and said so i 
gave this thing a go and it actually went all right, you know. <laughs> so it's, it's so, great. It's, it's proving the proof in the pudding. Yeah, you totally, totally, totally sold us on, on the value of this process. Mm. So since we are trying to be as much hands-on as possible in this podcast, could you give us a brief recap of the most popular or your most favorite exercises that you give to the team, which, which is collected in the room? Yeah, so I, I, the, I think for me, the, um, well, I, I give you one which is the, the, uh, is the greatest fight that we all have as designers, which is the homepage. Uh-huh. So as, we, as I'm sure we've all experienced, the homepage is this mad real estate fight in a lot of really big organizations. Yeah, everyone is fighting for this particular slot and they they want they want to be present on the home page they want links to their section you know if they're still working in this siloed way where it's one team's responsible for one side or the other and um i i'm sorry to interrupt you yeah. and that's how you end up with a carousel absolutely <laughs> because that's absolutely. what we've been doing for years yeah. <laughs> so like the the whole thing with like the designer box game for example introducing that to resolve home page problems is a great one because you can't have a carousel on a on a box it's got a front cover uh you know it's it's got four sides and a back and so it it like using that exercise to get them to think about like what's the important message that we need to convey and, and trying to get people to change the way they think about what the function of a home page is because it's the you know it's the least trafficked page for a lot of websites because your landing pages for the specific things you're trying to get people to is is what's important um but there's still this desire so, so doing, what's doing the method? that yeah what did you do <laughs> yeah so doing 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 an exercise with people to um first and foremost uh, get them to uh, talk about all of the things that the organization does say for example mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. post-its chuck them all up um get them grouped into, you know, similar related things and maybe topics and themes and, and have a discussion about it. And that's, you know, maybe sort of 20 minutes worth of effort. And uh, I'm sure that there are lots of things in there as you go through and sort of talk about them, people already start to get an impression in their mind as to you know, what's, what's the, maybe the one thing that we're known most for or what's the one thing that we're not known most for, but we really want to be known for. And uh-huh. you start to get these themes together. So then if you take that and you could just do something like prioritize them by dot voting, you know, and, and give everyone a number of votes and they go around and, and vote on the categories and go, okay, well then there's the new hierarchy of the homepage. The most important thing comes first, you know, it's top to bottom. Um, but it's, it's, there, there's still not enough investment in that because it's more of a, just a discussion about, you know, all the things that are currently on the, on the site and, and what they should be doing. Um, you can do the same kind of exercise with just printing out the homepage and cutting it up into pieces and then getting people to kind of reorder it based on the way that they think it um, would work better. Um, but the, the, the better way of doing it is to then get them to design a serial box, which is if, you know, if the organization was a, was a serial, what would it say? And I find <laughs> the, um, I find that the results that come out of it are, always consistent with anyone that I've done it with and and they're also really helpful because they they're compelled to create this very 
succinct front cover for the box thinking about where it's got to sit on the shelf and that it's got to stand out from all of the others and you know we need to make sure that the the strap line is really clear and all this other stuff needs to kind of sort of dwindle away and then they start moving around the different sides and thinking about the priorities of that content and where it would live and if you think about a cereal box it's, it's basically the same uh you know content hierarchy as as a as a web page because the, there'll be a side that's got nutritional information on it and it's kind of the nitty gritty, you know, and you can imagine that on a web page, you'd probably have that like two thirds of the way down or something. And <laughs> the back page is uh, like the overall and summary and more detail. Maybe there's a gift, you know, free gift inside or, you know, those kind of things. And that's where that all kind of appears. And then there'll be a side which has got contact information if you've got a problem or if you'd like to know more about the company and things like that. And it's on a smaller side and barcodes at the bottom which you could say is terms and your terms and conditions links and your cookie links and things like that and you start to see as people go around you know you've got a handful of people doing these different boxes and then they all present them at the end and you can start to pick out the common themes that people have and then from that get them to do another another cover um which combines all of the different ideas from each of the groups and then you start to, to build up this unified picture because everyone realizes that they are actually all talking about the same thing and that they all have the same desire or they understand what's most important. And it's not necessarily just their stuff. It's what's good as, as a whole for the organization, but ultimately for their customers because they've had to create this thing, which is to, to sell them as an idea to their customers. So it's it's a really great exercise to do, and I think that there's a lot of different ways you can use that game. May I ask you if the is the company leadership present at this meeting? I I would get anyone involved who has a a stake within the the website. So, mm-hmm. I mean, some organisations, uh, if you think of like really big conglomerates, then someone like the CEO or founder of a you know, Fortune 500 company is probably not really going to be that important to have there. They don't have that kind of involvement with with the business at, you know, at that tiny level. But anyone that's um, that's that's got an involvement with the site, you know, have a representative of some kind there. And I think having mm-hmm. the managers there is is really crucial, like because they they are ultimately the ones that, who are going to inform their teams of how this new thing's going to work or, or what they want to be able to get from it. Because you, if you've got too many voices in a room, then you, you lose the strength of, of any group activity. But you do still need to have people who are uh, decision makers, if you like, or, exactly. are, res- yeah, mm-hmm. or are responsible for... Uh, for what goes on so if if for example i mean i've I've had plenty of times in the past where you organize uh an afternoon like this where there's going to be this exercise and there's there's someone who you you just haven't been able to really get time with and they just defer it and they get an executive from their team to go and represent and then that executive sits there and feels really uncomfortable because they they're there with their notepad thinking that this was just going to be yet another meeting and that they were going to take notes and then write up what happened and send it to their boss and then suddenly they're faced with uh, glue and multicolored pens and scissors 
and a load of paper and being told to make you know makes get involved and make something and it and they feel a little bit out of their comfort zone and really you have to take decisions on the spot which people hate to do yeah yeah (laughs) they do hate and uh absolutely i would i would imagine like they might be afraid to 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 show their incompetence in front in front of their teams as well. Yes, very much so. I, th- I think that there's a there is um, there's a great deal of fear in big organisations where you are, are constantly being measured, and that you have to show that you really know your stuff and, uh-huh. and that you're in control. And I think that these these kind of uh, design exercises they they set everyone to zero again <laughs> because nobody has probably done it before um they're they're all a little bit nervous and there's going to be some people sure that are a little bit more into the idea of like oh yeah what the heck let's just give it a try uh there's going to be other people who are a little bit reluctant and i and i have had workshops where that's happened um as i'm sure many people have but what I've always found is that about halfway through that defensive barrier from that individual who doesn't really want to get involved just kind of goes. And they, so I think there's something that just sort of clicks on in their minds where they just think, hang on a minute, I'm getting paid to doodle some stuff with some crayons. This seems like a pretty good deal. And they just start getting into it because they realize that it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's, this is, there is no wrong answer. There's no right answer. It's just about trying to think differently about something that's happening or a problem that you're trying to solve. May I ask you, so you put something together, let's say a homepage concept or something, and then it, it gets taken, uh, like people take it one level up to their next level executive, let's say, and here is he wasn't able to attend, and he just strikes everything out and says like, "Oh, this is crap! Like, I don't like this." Mm. Uh, so, is there any recipe to, to that? Maybe he says like, "Oh, I don't like this uh, this workshop. Uh, I mean, the w- the output doesn't correlate with what I think about the strategy. Let's say what I think about the product, and what what then? That's too bad. He had it. They <laughs> no, it's, it's it's honest. It's um, you know, it's uh, I think that. Uh, again, it's, it's, it's something which I have seen with um, a couple of agencies that I've worked with in the past where the, the desires, say, of the UX team within the agency of how they want to operate and how they want to get to the point where it starts going into production it is not being communicated at the point of sale. And uh-huh. I, th- I think this happens a lot as well. We have this, um, we, we have the way that we would like to work. And I think a lot of user experience designers have the same feeling about this that I do of the, the where you do great work is in, in a collaborative environment and by not having endless meetings and not going away and then coming back and pitching stuff all the time, but getting involved within the organizations. But if that hasn't been clearly communicated at the beginning, that there is actually a responsibility for the client, if you like, that they are going to be involved. You need to know what their availability is in terms of time. If there's a uh, an event that they're invited to, they they ha- it's not optional. You know, they have to attend. Um, if you haven't put that in place at the beginning, then sure, you're you're probably going to be a little bit 
on the back foot all the time because you're going to have to have those discussions and explain to this individual why this was created in a particular way and work mm-hmm. out exactly how you're going to express to them that their opinion doesn't matter because it's just one person's opinion in the same way that my opinion doesn't matter. You know, I, I could go and redesign websites for everybody if I wanted to, but who am I to say that it's right? I don't know their audience. I don't know whether or not they have been down this road before. They are the people that know the best. And mm-hmm. our, our role as user experience designers is more to actually facilitate them in their function than to come in and throw our weight around and say, like, well, I think that it should work this way. You know, that's, that's not what it's about. So I- if, you, if you've set up your engagement correctly at the beginning and express that if you, are, if you are a decision maker or within the stakeholder group that you've got at the, at the beginning within the kickoff, you know, you've outlined who the people are who could potentially have those kind of opinions. It's at that point in time where you have to go and have a conversation with them and say that they need to be involved in this because you're not going to be overridden. Like the, the group is not going to be overridden by that one individual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's pretty important. I have a suspicion that that's also relevant to whom exactly you are selling this service to at the point of the contract. So if you are selling this to the higher executive and he's buying your services and bringing you inside the team, then he's definitely going to be on board with the team's decisions. Uh, so the next question would be, how how do you pitch these services? Do people usually come to you because they know you're doing these kind of things? Or is it you proactively explaining the value of that to clients um well being relatively new in this like just talking about so far this year it it has actually been very much me going and and talking to people that i've seen um that are you know have got a, a project up for tender for example um i've actually contacted quite a few people who have been looking to hire user experience designers as well like in-house mm-hmm. teams um mainly just to ask what why they're looking for someone especially if i can go and look on linkedin you know something like that and get an idea of the size of the company and and what they're doing because i think uh, uh so i also i i mentor people as well that's something that i do and over the last year i think i've encountered more and more people who come to me looking for mentorship because they feel like they're not doing something quite right at work or they want to get better at a particular thing and then after a couple of sessions it becomes very clear that actually it's the organization's not right for them or that they were hired under false pretenses so i think a lot of companies hire a ux designer because they feel like it's a role that you're supposed to now have but they don't Too really bad. Th- yeah yes. <laughs> and they don't really think about what it is that they want from it um and i uh, i think that and you're coming a lot. in to explain that why yeah so mm-hmm. i've been i've been going in and, and um actually i've i've spoken to about four companies this year uh just in the local area about that and saying well you know you could get this individual in but what what is it that you're expecting from them and a lot of the time i think it is it's it's more that they are looking for them to do the tactical work so they want them to do wireframing they want them to do maybe some content audits on something or they want to do ab testing and do 
conversion rate optimization and that kind of stuff. And that's fine. As long as you're really clear on that's what you want to do, uh, you know, what that, that job is doing, but that doesn't solve the end to end problems. That's just focusing on this one narrow slice through your organization. And there's all of those mm-hmm. other touch points that are through the organization that also contribute to that user experience. And if everyone's not thinking about it in that kind of way, then um, you're, you're just going to continually reach this bottleneck point where this person that you've hired to be a user experience designer is going to, you know, they could be really fantastic and they could do wonderful things with your website. But if everything else around them is falling apart or doesn't work in the same way or has, you know, a, a jarring juxtaposition from one side to the other, then all their work is kind of, it's, it's for nothing. So I've been talking more um, to to like founder level people within organizations um, or higher sort of management um, roles about how to get design thinking more into the processes that they have of, um, you know, why make decisions about particular features or um, that something needs to be done. Is it knee jerk reactions because a client has said, wouldn't it be really great if this thing did this and you go, no, not really. And they go, well, we'll pay you. So then you build it and then you keep doing that. And before you know it, you've ended up with something which is totally different to what you started out with. So it's, it's that's where this this idea of UX coaching comes into play is is being able to go into uh, somewhere and just talk to them about what they're doing and give them a different way of thinking about things um, and imparting with them some really simple exercises that they can do in order to um, to resolve uh, problems but also to make better decisions. You know, absolutely, absolutely. We are a little bit running out of time, but I think it wouldn't be fair to our listeners if I didn't ask you for a few more exercises that we can actually do with teams. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, I think I think that the the other exercise that I find so valuable now is um, uh, experience mapping. Um, and in particular, this concept of um, empathy experience mapping. And mm-hmm. I'm not really sure where the first time I saw it was. Um, it's, it's certainly not a unique idea that I've come up with or anything. Um, but I, I've been doing it for a, a few years now with various different uh, clients that I've been involved with. And I've also run um, a workshop a couple of times to teach people how to do it as well but it's this idea of being able to take the the full customer experience uh, and and map it out in this kind of timeline and then to be able to take your personas and build uh, the classic um, is it I think it's uh, was David Gray wasn't it that, that made the the empathy map model where it's kind of got the little Pac-Man face in the middle and you <laughs> have the seeing thinking hearing and feeling quadrants and you've got those filled in and it's it's taking that idea and then just putting it into rows underneath the journey so let's say for example you've got a, a classic kind of sales journey um, you've got this uh, pre-purchase experience at the beginning where someone you know i have i have problem need solution and you start to log into uh the column 
into the various rows underneath of it the the actions that they have to take in this process like what 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 they do the things that they're thinking about maybe they've um seen an advert on tv about a particular thing so let's say it's like for buying a mobile phone you might have someone might have seen an advert in a magazine or uh, a, a review online of a particular phone they're going to talk to their friends and family and you can start to build up this really clear picture through every step in this process of the, the pre-purchase as they go through the actual purchasing process so like in the uk we have this these ridiculous contract systems for for mobile phones and the stress that comes with that and trying to figure out whether it's the right price and everything else. And then you've got like the post-purchase experience of actually receiving the phone. When do they get it? Do they get it in store? Did they order it online? And being able to build this, this map out of that provides you with lots of areas that you can discuss, you know, within this group collaboratively about various pain points that become uncovered or opportunities that you might have to be able to do something throughout this entire process that's just going to add a delighter to that mm-hmm. to that person's uh, experience and that is a really good one to to have groups involved with especially if you've got something like that like a transactional experience then you can have people in for marketing and advertising you can have the actual people that deal with the sales um you know post post sales teams customer service customer support you know you can get lots of people involved and they what happens is that they end up sharing their experiences of what goes on within each of these sections with the other people and then they start to realize like oh well do you know if we'd had actually made that clearer within the marketing strategy like we put an advert out for example and and we didn't actually say that that was the terms and conditions of it then that would have reduced the number of phone calls that happened at customer experience somewhere else down the line mm-hmm. um so it's again it's a really great exercise to get people thinking a lot more about one another in the different steps of this uh transactional chain that's right yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um one more question really short What would be the top mistakes that you would recommend consultants like yourself to avoid while doing these exercises? Do the actual work. That's uh-huh. that's the biggest mistake. <laughs> that is the biggest mistake because you you start to uh well firstly you can intimidate others in the room um because you start to sort of run ahead because you you kind of know where it's going, right? And you you've got a hunch and you could very much um end up uh leading the conversation so say exactly the same problem as that happens with people doing user testing you use these leading questions to get the answer that you want out of it and and that's a terrible mistake so it's very much you you have to become more of a facilitator um you might sit down and and you know spend a couple of minutes with one of the groups for example and and talk about what they're doing but don't start then doing things on their behalf let them do it mm-hmm. so that's that's the most important thing i think for anyone running workshops is to realize that you're there to sort of explain the rules of the game and then just to sort of sit back and be around if anyone has a question or they want help with something That's super hard actually. It, yeah, <laughs> it, it can be it can be quite difficult especially if you're if you are that particular day if you're really feeling like you you just um 
you know, you, you can kind of figure out where this thing's going and you're just trying to get them there a little bit quicker, uh, which is the biggest challenge with, with any kind of coaching, really, because the whole idea around coaching is that you know that the other person has the answer. You're just trying to find ways of getting them to, to break down whatever it is that's blocking them to be able to, to get to the answer. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what this is about, because, you know, you have to you have to go in with the belief that these people know their customers they know their product but there's something there at the moment which is just stopping them from being able to to get to the solution that's going to really help them and you're just there using these exercises to be able to break down those barriers a little bit come at it from a completely different angle you know there's no laptops in the room that someone could be blindly staring at emails or pretending to pay attention they're doing something totally different and from that you just find suddenly something makes sense yeah that's amazing do you do you believe that such things can be done remotely via some you know crowdcasting tools uh i i honestly don't think it can i've i've seen that yeah well i've seen i've seen a few attempts to um to try and sort of facilitate groups the problem is that you can't read the room Because there's the the most important thing, and it's the same as in meetings, right? Is that you've you as the person that's kind of chairing that room, you need to own that room, and that's not about exerting dominance. It's about being able to look around and see what's going on with each individual that's there, because you are going to have people who are quieter or louder and you need to manage both of them in different ways mm-hmm. so you, you know you want to make sure that the person that's quieter they they may have a really valid point so perhaps you need to go and have a a chat with them whilst everything else is going on and see what they say and then you can use that opportunity to then sort of bring that to everyone else's attention so you can sort of uh you know interject as to what's going on and say oh you know um Gemma just you know made this really great point what do we think about that to so you're you're sort of acting as their megaphone you know and then mm-hmm. you kind of need to go the other way with the people that are louder in the room and if you're if you're on a video cast you can't really see that happening so I think that there's there's a, a great importance in in being present um and hopefully that also means that you've you've managed to persuade them to actually leave their desks for an afternoon yeah. you know <laughs> even if it is just going into um you know into one of their meeting rooms as long as they're not surrounded by the stuff that will distract them into going back into doing their their job mm-hmm. then um you've got their attention and and they've got one another's attention and that's really important if you can actually arrange to do workshops in completely outside of their office so there's not that opportunity of oh i'm just gonna pop to the toilet and you know full well that they're going to walk past their desk they're going to check their emails they'll come back 20 minutes later if you can get someone to go out uh you know and you can you can get the budget to organize going and using a completely different space that's even more powerful because then they're completely removed from whatever's happening that day whatever stuff is going on um that they're gonna try and bring into the room at that point and you know they'll keep banging on that one point because it's the problem they've got today and you want them to be thinking about something much broader yeah that sounds amazing so thank you for sharing all this today i feel that 
we could have spent another hour or something talking about that. It's true. I do, <laughs> It's I a do really go on. awesome topic. Yeah. <laughs> so wrapping up, uh, yeah. where can people find you online to learn more? Uh, so I have I have a personal portfolio site, which is uh, simply byandyparker.com. And my company is We Are AFK, uh, which is based in, in the United Kingdom. And the web URL for that, really frustratingly, is we are a F for really K for kilo. Um, because the person that is, owns the domain that I desperately want is not getting back to me. So I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping that I can track. I, I know this person, I've managed to find out their details. I'm just really struggling to get hold of them. So mm-hmm. um, we are afk.com goes to some horrific. Uh, temporary landing page for GoDaddy or something and uh, uh, I'm working on that so uh, <laughs> yeah so we'll, we'll share up the links for that thank you so much uh, for joining us today and I hope we'll, we'll meet some sometime later t- to discuss that more because I feel I haven't got enough of that great I hope <laughs> so. so too I hope so okay thank you for joining us today have a beautiful one thank you bye bye